2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be spending the majority of our time in that text looking at the last seven or so verses of that great chapter. Appreciate your attendance and looking forward uh, to studying God's Word with you this morning. A simple vacation Bible school song that we sing every year is the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. And how simple of a message that song is about how give me the Bible many times we sing and how that we need to stand alone on the Word of God. But when you look at the Bible, I think we look at a book that is an amazing picture of God's love for us because this is God revealing Himself to us uh, today, and we're going to talk more about that. But when you look at the Bible, you got to remember this book was written over a per- period of 1,500 years by 40 different authors. And these various authors were different kings, different uh, leaders, even some of them just being your casual tax collectors and fishermen and, and poets and musicians and, and whatever it may be. These simple men wrote down, were inspired, of course, by God, the Holy Spirit Himself, to write this book that we have today called the Bible. The Bible was written on three different continents. It was written in Asia, Africa, and Europe. It was written in three languages. We talked about that this morning during Bible class, how that the Old Testament, mainly written in Hebrew with periods of it written in Aramaic, and the New Testament written in Koine Greek. And there's different kinds of styles as you read the Bible. You got the sections of history, you got the sections of poetry, you got the the prophets, you got uh, different biographies, you got the parables, you got all these different sections within the Bible. But the amazing thing about this book called the Bible is it has one common story throughout it. And that is God redeeming His love and redeeming His people for all mankind. And about Him sending forth Jesus, that is the Old Testament, that Jesus is coming. The Gospel accounts, Jesus is here. And then the New Testament, the rest of the New Testament being Jesus is coming again, and that is the Bible. But when we think about the Bible, we've got to remember that this is in fact the book that God breathed. And that's where we're going to be studying this morning. This morning, I want us to look at three points from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17, that I hope help us remember the Bible. Number one, we're going to look at how that the Bible, the book God breathed, is illustrated in the life of Paul. How that Paul himself lived out the Bible in his own life and how he lived out the book in his different characteristics in his life. Secondly, we're going to look how the Bible, the book God breathed, was implanted into the life of Timothy. How that Timothy was taught the Holy Scriptures from his youth. And then thirdly, we're going to look at how the book God breathed was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So number one, we're going to look at the illustrated in the life of Paul. Number two, we're going to look implanted in the life of Timothy. And number three, we're going to look at how it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So let's let's dive into point number one this morning. Number one, illustrated by the life of Paul. When I talk about the word illustrated, I'm talking about how that it is lived out by the life of Paul. You know, many times children like looking at the illustrations in books. You know, you're reading the book to them, you're reading the words to them, but you got the illustrations there that help grab the child's attention as they're reading it. And what is that illustration doing? It's putting the words on that book into a picture that can instill it into their brain. It's showing them, it is demonstrating to them what that story is about. And as we read these first three verses of of this section of Scripture we're studying, we're going to see that Paul is not just saying, 
hey, you need to do this, but hey, I have lived it out for you. I am the example that you need to follow after, and I want you to follow after me. I am illustrating, I am showing you, I am giving you a real-life picture of what this looks like in your life. So look at verse number 10 of this. He says, but you, Timothy, have carefully followed, verse number 1, my doctrine. That is the proclamation. He says, you have, I have illustrated this Christian life for you by proclaiming the doctrine. You know, doctrine, of course, means teaching. You're going to see that verse again down in verse number 16 of this chapter. You're going to see it repeated time and time again throughout this book. But notice, go back with me very, very quickly. He says, but you have carefully followed. That word followed is a very special word in the original language. That word followed carries with it two senses. Number one, you follow me mentally. You know, if I'm talking to you and I'm telling you about something, you're following my logical thought. You're following the way in which I present something to you. But then secondly, in the most important way here in this context, is you have followed me physically. The idea here of somebody walking in the sand and you following in their footsteps. And that's what Paul is telling the young evangelist Timothy. But he goes, I want you to carefully follow. You have mentally followed me, you followed me in thought, but you have also physically followed me in my footsteps. And Timothy had done that for 15 years. He had been a mentor uh, Paul had been a mentor to Timothy, and Timothy had looked up to Paul's leadership in his life for some 15 years at this point. The first area is his proclamation. I, I read this quote in preparing for this lesson, and I, I believe it's true. It says, if one's doctrine is wrong, it makes very little difference what else might be right. If they are not teaching the truth, then very, very little matters what else follows after them. If they are not teaching the truth, and then secondly, we're going to look, if they're not practicing the truth, then nothing else matters. But number one, they have to teach the right thing. They have to teach what is good, what is honest, what is pure, what is the truth that is going to set us free. But secondly, we've got to do what's right. We've got to practice it. Notice what Paul says there. You have carefully followed my doctrine. That's the proclamation. But number two, I have put it into practice. That is the idea of the manner of life. Doctrine alone is dead. It's easy for a man to get up and preach an easy uh, a lesson from God's Word and say, hey, this is what you need to be doing. But the hard part is putting it into application. There's the proclamation. You've got to have it right. But there's also the application, the practice of what we preach. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy. is, I've not only preached it to you, but I've lived it out in my own life. And I want you to follow after me. And I think that's why he here opens up with these first two. I've taught the truth, but I've also practiced the truth. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter number 4. Here I think, again, he's going to couple these two ideas of, of doctrine and, and living it out. Uh, notice what he says here in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16. He says, take heed to yourselves and to the doctrine, the teachings. And then what does he say? Continue in them, for in doing this you will save yourselves, both yourselves and those who hear these. So notice again, he couples that idea. Take heed to the doctrine, to the teachings. But also, not only take heed to them, but practice them. Continue in them. So number one, we got the proclamations. Number two, we got the practices. But number three, Paul illustrated this book by the purpose of life. Notice, notice the third thing he mentions here. He says, doctrine, manner of life, but then purpose. What is your purpose? What is your purpose here in this life? Many people live life without a purpose. Many people are struggling to find their purpose in life. But what was Jesus' purpose here on earth? What if we made Jesus' purpose our purpose here on earth? 
Jesus' purpose can be found in Luke 19 and verse number 10, to seek and to save that which is lost. That's why the Son of Man came to earth. And if we make that our purpose in life, won't we be doing His purpose? And that's what we need to be doing in this life. We need to be seeking, we need to be saving and teaching the lost. And that goes back again to 1 Timothy 4 and verse 16. Take heed to the doctrine and what? Teach it. Take heed to it. Practice it. Teach it to all those because we need to find our purpose. Go with me to this same book, same uh, opening, chapter 1 and verse number 9, uh, first chapter, verse 9. Notice, notice he's going to use this word purpose here in this, in this verse. He says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Of course, talking about Jesus Christ, talking about God, uh, verse number 8. He says, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose. And what was his purpose? To seek and to save that which is lost. To save mankind. And that needs to be our mission here on earth. To seek and to save that which is lost. We also have to have our personal faith in Jesus. And that's what Paul illustrated in this life. He says, doctrine, manner of life, purpose. And then he says faith. The idea of faith here is that idea of a personal relationship with Jehovah God. That that idea of, hey, I am fully trusting in God. I am putting my full assurance and faith in Him. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11 and verse number 1. And the idea here is, hey, I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. That's what Paul believed in. That's what he illustrated in this life. He says, I have lived that out, and I want you to follow me, Timothy, as I have done that in this life. But also we have to have the perseverance of Paul, the the, the patience of Paul. Because the next one there in verse number 10, he says, is long-suffering. Long-suffering. The idea that we have to have patience in this life. Things aren't going to work out very quickly for us. Sometimes we have to have patience. We need to pray for patience. We need to have the patience of Job. And that's what Paul here is saying. is saying, you know what, I've suffered long. And, we, and we're going to talk more about the trials and and things of Paul here in a second. But then he goes on to say the love, that is the passions. Or or what Paul says, I have a love for God, number one, but I also have a love for man. I think that's that's what Paul means here. He says, is you have carefully followed my love. Because, number one, you've got to have a love towards God. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, John 11, verse 35. But we also have to love mankind. We've got to have love one for another. I love our brothers and sisters, Hebrews uh, 13 and verse number 1, he says, let brotherly love continue. But we also have to have a love for the lost. And that's what Paul had. Paul had a love for God. Paul had a love for, for, for his brothers and sisters. But he also had a love for the lost. And he wanted Timothy to Ill follow after that. But then in verse number 11 through the rest of this section, down to verse number 13, you're going to see the persecutions. The persecutions of Paul. And that kind of goes back to this idea of long-suffering that we mentioned earlier. But notice notice how much he talks about his persecutions there in verse number 11. He says, he goes, I want you to follow me carefully in my persecutions, afflictions which happened to me. And notice these three cities, we're going to look at each of them. To add Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endure, and out of them the Lord delivered me. Talk about long-suffering. Talk about suffering long. Paul saying, hey, through all the afflictions... The Lord delivered me. The Lord took care of me through those difficult times, through those hard times, through those times of trials in my life. Talking about the persecutions that he endured. Hold a marker here with me at 2 Timothy chapter 3 because we're going to come back to it 
But we can see these, these cities that Paul endured these afflictions and see them in action. Go, go with me to Acts chapter 13 because this is the first city of, of Antioch that we're going to see mentioned here. Acts chapter 13. We, we see there that he is in the city of Antioch. If you go down to verse number 50, excuse me, Acts 13 and verse number 50. Notice what he says here. But the Jews stirred up devout and prominent men and women, and chief, the chief men of the, of the city raised up persecutions against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So what happened here? Because of their faith, because of, of their belief in God, and then practicing it and preaching the gospel, what happened to them? They were persecuted and cast out of the city of Antioch. They were no longer allowed to go into that city and preach because of the message that they went through. Go down to Acts chapter 14. These, of course, are the different missionary journeys of Paul as we are reading through Acts 13 and 14. Uh, And we look here at Acts 14. Look at verses 5 and 6. Here he is in the city of Iconium. And and notice here it says, And when a violent attempt was made by both Jews and Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse them and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of, of uh, and their surrounding regions. So what happened here? Here they are about to be stoned to death, about to be beat because of their preaching of the gospel. And bodily harm is happening to them, but they escape the city of Iconia and go to another city called Lystra. But Lystra didn't get any better. Go down to verse number 19 of this chapter. Acts chapter 14 and verse 19. It says, And then the Jews uh, from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Here they are stoning him and, and Paul does a good job of playing dead here so that they leave him alone so he can get up and go to the next city to preach the gospel. Friends, if, if there's anybody that endured persecutions, it was the Apostle Paul. And he didn't stop. He didn't stop there. He didn't stop in Acts 13, verse number 50. He didn't stop in Acts 14, verses 5 and 6. And he sure didn't stop in Acts 14 and verse number 19. And that is a testament to his faith. That's a testament to his dedication and love Towards gospel, and, and Paul is just—he's not bragging about it here in Second Timothy chapter three, but he's simply telling Timothy, "Hey, I have done this, I have lived it out, and I want you to follow it in your own life. Don't let these persecutions stop you, but rather, persecutions should drive you to persevere on for the faith." And of course, uh, persecutions are still things that's going to happen because if you go back with me to Second Timothy chapter three. And look at the next verse. Verse number 11, he talks about all that he endured. But look at verse 12. Yes, and all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus knows this. Not maybe maybe suffer persecution. Not perhaps will. But it's a definite will suffer persecution. And you might be thinking in your life, well, what kind of persecution have I endured? But have we learned to compromise? Maybe in this life. You know, I, I, I believe this, that we as Christians better, better go ahead and decide right now where we're going to stand. Because our government is not getting any better. Our leaders are going to continue to bring forth things that this book opposes and say that they are right for us to do in this world. And we need to make a decision of what we're going to stand up for and be willing to take the persecution that arises because of this book. So we see all these things that Paul illustrated. You look at verse 13, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So we notice there, it's not going to get any better, but it's going to get worse. And we need to be ready to stand 
and take a stand. We, we looked at Acts 13 and 14 talking about Paul's persecutions. But if you, I, I should have told you to look at the verse 21, verse 22 of Acts 14. And it says, through many tribulations, through many trials, your translation might say, we might enter the kingdom of God. Yes, it's going to take trials, it's going to take tribulations to be able to enter into the kingdom of God. And that's the same thing Jesus taught. Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. He who endures shall be saved. And the idea of endure is pressing on. If, I, if I'm running, it's not going to be easy once I get to that one mile mark, that two mile mark, but what do I keep doing? What does that marathon runner keep doing? They keep pressing on towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And that's what we have to do here with this idea of faithfulness. And that's what we see here in verses 11 and 12 is Paul's faithfulness to God. His idea of, of persevering on to the end. So verses 10 through 13, we see Paul living out the Christian life. Paul illustrating it in our own lives. But secondly, let's look at our main second point, And that is implanted in the life of Timothy. Implanted in the life of Timothy. Now I'm using that word implanted in a very literal way. Because if we look at the parable of the sower... What does that seed represent? Luke 8 and verse number 11. It represents the Word of God. And what's, what's that seed, seed supposed to do? It's supposed to be scattered, right? And it's going to take plant into that. If you look at James chapter 1 and verse number 21, it uses this same word of implanted. That, and it talks about the Word of God. That implanted Word which is able to save your souls. So when you look at verses 14 and verse number 15, the, the, the word implanted is not mentioned here, but it's but it's, but it's there. It's the idea of teaching one, taking that word and implanting it into their heart. Look at verse 14. But you, Timothy, must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, of knowing whom you have learned them, and that from, the, from your childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation, which is in Christ Jesus. I want those four things here about the implanted in the life of, of Timothy. Number one, is the idea of continue. Notice what he says, but you must continue in them. He doesn't say just learn them and forget them. That's what many times my students do for their tests at school. They, they learn the facts, they, they get ready for those tests, and then they quickly forget them. But that's not what it's like when it comes to our Christian walk. He says you need to remember them. You need to continue in them. And that's why we study the Bible daily. That's why we, when, we, when we look at the Bible, we make notes in our Bible so that we can continue and remember the things that we have learned. The, the word continue here literally means to abide in them. It, it is not a visitor or an occasional guest, but it is a permanent residence. And that's what we need to do with our Bible knowledge. It needs to be dwelt within us. The idea of sacred writings that he mentions here in verse number uh, 14 is the idea of the Old Testament. Because they did not have the completed form of the New Testament during uh, this time in which Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, but he was talking about the Old Testament Scriptures. You have known them. We go down to verse number 3 and 4 of the next chapter, chapter 4, because here we see this idea of, of people not continuing in it. Paul encouraging Timothy to continue in it, but what happens when we don't continue in it? Look at verse number 3 of chapter 4. He says, For a time will come will they not endure the idea of continue sound doctrine. But, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, will they heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside unto fables. What, what's happened? They did not continue in it. They changed it. They altered it. And they went to the things in which they wanted their ears tickled. What They wanted to hear what they wanted to hear instead of hearing 
the Word of God. But number two, not only does Paul say you need to continue in it, Timothy, but you've got to have conviction. You've got to have a conviction from the things in which you are. He says, but you must continue in the things which you have learned, and, know, and this is the conviction, and been assured of. You know, it's one thing just to learn it, but it's another thing to be assured of it, and that leads to conviction. Many people, I believe, at their conversion are not convicted enough. You know, that they believe it, and, and, and maybe they're convicted a little bit, but they're not fully persuaded. They're not fully convicted because if they're fully convicted, they're all in. And that's what Paul is saying here. He goes, you, you have learned them and you've been assured of them, and that is your conviction. Your conviction of your faith. We've got to be convicted. And one thing that helps us be convicted is remember Jesus Christ and His suffering on the cross. And if that does not convict you on a daily basis, then I don't know what else will. But number three, we need to be implanted into our childhood. The idea here of childhood literally means a very young child. Paul, as he was a young, young child, learned the Holy Scriptures. Go, go with me to Second um, Timothy chapter 1. We're going to see this because we're going to see who taught him. Of course, Paul taught him, but I think here in Second Timothy chapter 1, you're going to see two other people that had a great influence in Paul's life. Look at, look at verse number 5. But when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that was in you, but notice what it says here, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded in you also. Why do you think that, that chain reaction happened? Why do you think it was in his grandmother and in his mother and him? Because they taught and implanted the Word of God into each generation. What happens if we don't teach the next generation? What happens if we don't teach... I remember Brother David Shannon once, I think I was down in Florida, and he was speaking on a gospel meeting. He says, we are one generation away from apostasy. We are one generation away from apostasy. And, and I think that is shown here. If, what, if, what if grandmother never taught daughter, daughter never taught son? How much faith would Paul have then? You can go to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 7. Deuteronomy 11 and verse number 9. And see what? The importance of teaching children. And that's commanded all throughout the Old Testament. And that's what we need to do as well. We need to teach our children. We need to teach the lost. But what do we need to teach them? Notice verse number 15. And from your childhood, that's our third point. You have known the Holy Scriptures, which is what make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The things we need to teach them is Christ. We need to teach them about Christ. Here, of course, it, it connects salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, because in Christ Jesus, all spiritual blessings can be found. Ephesians 1 and verse number 3. Redemption can be found. Forgiveness of sins, you go down to verse number 7. Salvation can be found in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy uh, 2 and verse number 10. So what's the application? We need to teach our children. We need to teach the lost. And that's, that's the one thing that we take away from this idea of implanted in the life of Timothy. Yes, it was illustrated by Paul, but it's got to be implanted into the life of Timothy. But thirdly and lastly, let's look at this last point, and this is the point I want to drive home, is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Yes, we need to live out the Bible. Yes, we need to teach the Bible. But we need to remember this book came from God. This book was a book that God breathed. The idea here 
Look at verse 16. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped unto every good work. I want to talk about three words very quickly to help us understand this idea of inspiration. I want to talk about revelation, inspiration, and illumination. The idea of revelation is God to the holy men of, of God. Talking about the apostles, the prophets, uh, the, those, those directly uh, which God talked to, such as Moses and Abraham. That is revelation. Revelation is from God to man. God to man. That's revelation. Inspiration is from that holy man of God as they wrote it down in the Bible. And that's what this word literally means here, given by inspiration of God. That is the idea of God breathed into them the breath of life. So you got revelation from God to man, and then you got man to pen because God is moving them through this idea of inspiration, and then you got illumination, and that is from pen to people. That is from us reading the holy holy words that we have for us, and that being convicted from these words. And that's how the Holy Spirit works today is through the word, and that is illumination. People can get uh, very tied up into that very quickly. But let's focus in on this idea of inspiration. The idea of God breathed into man these words. You read Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 7, the idea there that God breathed into to man what? Through the nostrils, the breath of life. Friends, this book was God breathed. It gives us eternal life if we obey it. It is the breath of God in pen. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter number 1. We're going to notice here, I think, illustrated this idea of inspiration. He says here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 20, he says, Knowing this, but no prophecy of Scripture is in private interpretation. For the prophecy of man came by, came by the will of man. But notice this, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The idea there of the word moved, is a ship on the sea. Now, if I don't have a motor going on that ship, if I'm not, not paddling in the sea, if I, just, if I just put a boat in the middle of the ocean, just let it coast, what's it going to do? It's going to go wherever those waves take it. And that's what these holy men of God did. They didn't write down their own thoughts. They didn't write down their own desires. But they simply just sat down and wrote down the words in which God instructed them. And the idea here is move them to write down. So we have the book in which God breathed for us. And that is an amazing thought. You know, people might think that the Bible is not inspired by God, that God could not do this, but let's ask a few questions this morning, and, and I think this will help us. In order to be the Bible, that good, the Bible, the book God breathed, it has to pass some tests, and it passes every single one of these tests. It passes the archaeology test, and Luke could probably give you a whole lot better lesson than I can on this idea, but I'm going to give you just a few that in my, my findings found. For years, men said that the place called Ur of the Chaldees never existed. And then proof was discovered that it did, in fact, exist. The historical society of Joseph ruled in Egypt confirmed by a tablet found in Yemen. It seems that the clay tablet was found in the tomb of a rich woman who recorded her, her, uh, her efforts to buy grain from a man named Joseph in a land called Egypt. And then we could go on and on. As Rubble's makeup saucers have been found. Brick in Egypt have been found that were made without straw. The death of Jesus have been proved a historical fact. And the list could go on and on. So friends, it passes the archaeology test. There's been, there just continues to be recoverings of unfindings of all these different things. 
that prove biblical record and historical facts that happen. What about the scientific test? Does it pass the scientific test? Now, the Bible is not a science book, but it does have scientific facts that help back up the things that people have, quote-unquote, discovered for years. Listen to a few of these. The Bible says that it, the earth is a sphere, Isaiah 40 and verse number 22. But man discovered this in the 15th century. What if they had just read their Bibles? They have known that before then. The Bible says that the earth is suspended upon space. It hangs upon nothing, Job 27, 26 and verse 7. But Isaac Newton discovered this in 18, 1687. What if he had just read his Bible? The Bible claims that the number of stars are innumerable, Genesis 15 and verse 5. The Bible contains rules regarding medicine and sanitation that were thousands of years ahead of their time, washing hands and, and quarantines and many other things that we could go to into the scientific realm. But the Bible had those facts long before these scientists discovered them, these philosophers discovered them. What about the prophecy test? I think this, this is a very good proof of the biblical record. You read Old Testament examples about where Jesus would be born in the city of Bethlehem, Micah 5 and verse number 2, that he would be, that he would be preceded by a forerunner, being John the Baptist, Isaiah 40 and verse number 3, that he would enter into Jerusalem on a cult, Zechariah 9 and verse number 9, that a friend would betray him, Isaiah 41 and verse 9, they would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah 11 and verse number 12. They would be spit upon and beaten, Isaiah 50 and verse number 6. Their hands and feet would be pierced, Isaiah 22 and verse 16. And there's a whole long list of every Old Testament prophecy being fulfilled. And it's not just a, not just a clear statement of, oh, it, this, this is going to happen, but it's very specific and detailed in every one of them being fulfilled in the New Testament with the coming of Jesus or the coming of His kingdom. What about the unity test? Does it pass the unity test? Yes, of course it does. What God begins in Genesis has ended in the book of Revelation. And it took 1,500 years to write the Bible, but it has one single story from beginning to end. And this just shows unity. It passes the honesty test. And it is a book that is full of truth and it can be trusted. And the list goes on and on and on. Friends, the Bible is inspired. It came from God Himself, And that's how He has revealed Himself to us today. So when we look at the inspired Word of God, we've got to remember, number one, it is Scripture. It is inspired by God. But number two, it is sufficient. Notice the word in which this verse starts with in verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Everything that we have within this book is the book God breathed. And that's an amazing fact. That is sufficient for us. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Friends, we have everything we need. Don't doubt the Bible because it is complete and thoroughly furnished under every good work, as he says in verse number 17. But what's the purpose of the Bible? What is, why is the reason we have the Bible? Number one, doctrine. Look at verse number 16. Is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. This is the purpose of the Bible. Number one is doctrine for teaching. We've already mentioned that. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Doctrine tells us what is right. Reproof and correction is how to get right. And instruction in righteousness is the idea of how to stay right. How to stay right. And that's why we have the Bible. How to get right, how to stay right, and how to make sure we get to heaven one day. The idea of, of instruction and righteousness is an idea of training a child. It takes persistency and it takes patience. 
We need to teach the right doctrine and we need to make sure that we're living living it out by the words in which we, we say and the words in which we do. The book God breathed, it was illustrated in the life of Paul. It was implanted in the life of Timothy. And number three, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I ask you this morning, can you be seen living out the Word of God? Is it, are you illustrating the, the Bible for others? Are you a living, breathing epistle? Have you been implanting it in the life of others? Have you been teaching others? And do you believe that it is inspired word of God? Maybe you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. You've got to believe, what you heard, believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, that God sent His Son down to earth to die for your sins. Because without believing in Him, you cannot live eternal life, John 3 and verse 16. But that belief should drive you to confess that belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, just like the Ethiopian eunuch did in John, Acts chapter 8. And that, that confession should drive you to repentance, that is to change your life. And that is the idea of reproof here in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. You must be buried in a watery grave of baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Just like that Ethiopian did. He says, I believe that the Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they commanded the chariot to stand still. And they both went down in the water. And the eunuch baptized him into Christ. And you can do that this morning. Have your sins washed away. And become a New Testament Christian. And have your new walk with Christ. But maybe you're here this morning. You have, need the prayers of the church. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 through 9 says, If you confess your faults one to another, he is faithful to forgive you. If, you need, if we can help you in any way this morning, come now as we gather we stand and as we sing.